Happy Father's Day, everybody. Hey, let's hear it for our dads, okay? Let's just... Uh... I, I just have to tell you a, a story that I came across uh, about a guy named Larry Walters. Larry Walters. I don't know if Larry uh, is a father or not, but I think Larry illustrates the, the sense of adventure that most of us guys have, or at least would like to have. I mean, and this is a true story. It, it really happened, although uh, the legends around it have grown on the internet. So if you look it up, you'll find maybe different versions and all kinds of legends around it. But uh, at the heart of it, it is a true story. You may have heard about Larry Walters. Larry's boyhood dream was to fly. And when he graduated from high school, he joined the Air Force in hopes of becoming a pilot. Unfortunately, poor eyesight disqualified him. When he was finally discharged, he, he sat, had to satisfy himself with watching jets basically fly over his backyard. So one day, Larry had a bright idea. He decided to fly. He went to the local Army-Navy surplus store and purchased 45 weather balloons and several tanks of helium. Back home, Larry strapped the balloons onto his sturdy lawn chair, and he anchored the chair to the bumper of his Jeep and inflated the balloons with helium. When he climbed on for a test, and, and he was only a few feet above the ground, and he was satisfied that it would work, Larry packed several sandwiches and a six-pack of Miller Lite. <laughs> he also took with him his pellet gun. Why? Because he figured that when it was time to descend, he would just shoot some of the balloons, and he would gently land back on the earth. What could go wrong? So it, here he is. And, and now Larry's plan, to be fair to him, was to just go like maybe 30, 40 feet up above his yard, hang out there for a while, and then, you know, see the view and then come back down. But that's not what actually happened. When he cut the cord anchoring the lawn chair to his Jeep, he did not float lazily up to 30 feet or even 100 feet or even 1,000 feet. He shot like a cannon up to 11,000 feet. And when he got up that high, he was not about to shoot any of the balloons. So he hung out there, 11,000 feet floating in his lawn chair for over 14 hours. And then he really got into trouble. He found himself drifting into the primary approach corridor of Los Angeles International Airport. A United pilot spotted lawn chair Larry, as they came to call him. The pilot radioed the tower and said, uh, I just passed a guy in a lawn chair with a gun. LAX emergency procedures swung into full alert. A helicopter was dispatched to investigate. Once the crew determined that Larry was not dangerous, they attempted to close in for a rescue. But, but 
from the draft of the, the blades whirling on the helicopter, whenever they would approach Larry, the, 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 he would just keep drifting away. So finally, they, they got several hundred feet above Larry and lowered the rescue line. And, they, and that finally worked. And then they finally, they got a hold of him and they, they brought him down to earth. And as soon as he was hauled to earth, he was arrested by the LAPD for violating LAX airspace. And as he was led away in handcuffs, a reporter asked him, Larry, were you scared? Larry said, yes, I was scared. The reporter asked, would you do it again? Larry said, no, I would not do it again. Now, I know some of you guys here are so adventurous and so brave. You know, you, you, some of you guys, you would say, nope, I wasn't afraid. And yep, I would do it again. But, but Larry, he said, no, no, no way. And then the reporter asked Larry, well, why did you do it? Larry shrugged his shoulders and replied, a man just can't sit around. <laughs> so, and, you know, he's right, isn't he? We men, when we just sit around, we get bored and we get ourselves into trouble, don't we? See, God designed us for a purpose, we are not designed to just sit around. God wired us for adventure. And, and I tell you, one of the greatest adventures, one of the greatest purposes in all of life is to be a dad, to be a husband, to lead and protect and provide for your family. I want to tell you two stories today about two dads, both found in the Bible. And, and so we're going we're gonna to just unpack a bit of their stories, David and Jacob. The two guys in the Old Testament. And, and so I, I, I want to talk to you about these two guys. And, and my main point today is the same point that we had for Mother's Day, which is this. Be a godly parent, not a perfect parent. Nobody has ever been a perfect parent. Remember on Mother's Day, we looked at Mary and Joseph and how they raised Jesus. And we looked in Luke chapter 2. And how uh, Jesus, at the age of 12, went with them down to Jerusalem from Nazareth. And, and then they left him there. They didn't realize they left him there. They thought he was in their caravan. And, and several days went by, and they, they couldn't find him. And so we, we learned from that story in Luke chapter 2 that even the best families, the best moms, the best dads, the best kids will have their problems to solve, will have stresses in life. It's just, it's just a part of life. So give up, please just give up on ever trying to be a perfect parent, but you can be a godly parent. You can be open and honest and dil a d diligent, sincere follower of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that's enough. That's enough. When you just open up your heart and you open up your mind and you just you're just following Jesus and you're humble. And, and yes, you make mistakes and yes, you even sin. But you you repent and you turn and you and you keep growing and you and you allow the spirit of Christ to keep changing you. You know, I have to say that I was surprised when I uh, when I discovered something this week as I prepared for this message. I guess I've kind of known it all along, but I never quite put all the pieces of the puzzle together this way to, to see it in, in this light. But I, did you realize that in the Bible you do not find many good fathers? 
In fact, you're kind of hard-pressed to find any good fathers. I mean, you, you think, just start thinking of all the dads in the Bible that you're aware of. Noah? Noah got drunk. Abraham? Great Abraham lied about his wife. Lot got drunk. Starting to see a theme here? I mean, Eli let his boys run wild. I guess we could say Job, Old Testament Job, was a good father, but maybe even he was overprotective. But we could say that Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, was a good father, but really we don't know much about Joseph, do we? We know from Joseph in the birth stories of Jesus and at the age of 12 when Jesus was 12 and Joseph and Mary, you know, that whole story in Luke 2. But after that, we really don't know much about Joseph. And it dawned on me as I reflected on this and looked at the scripture that rather than being a problem, this should actually be a comfort. This should actually be a comfort to you and me. Because you see, the message of the gospel is not, the message of the gospel is, is not, you have to be a perfect person. You have to be a perfect parent. When you finally get to the place where you really have your act together, and you, so be a great husband, be a great father, and you have it all together, then come to God. Then God will like you. Then God will accept you. That is not the gospel message. The good news of the Bible is, of course you're broken. Of course you're messed up. Of course you have problems. Of course you don't have your act together. But God has provided a way for you to be forgiven and cleansed and healed. And he can help you in this journey of life to, to find wholeness and to deal with whatever that your problems and sins are. And he can help you by his grace and by his love to become a truly good person. And that way, that, that path is Jesus Christ. Jesus died for your sins. He rose again. You can be forgiven. You can be renewed. See, that is the gospel. We're all messed up. We all have problems. But there's a good and beautiful God who can help us and change us. So dads, moms, everybody, I ask you today, have you received Jesus Christ? Are you following him? Are you walking in that path? It's not about being perfect because you're not perfect. None of us will ever be perfect, but we, we can be growing, we can be changing, we can find healing and grace. The first dad I, wanna, I want us to look at is King David. King David teaches us this truth. King David, when you look at his life and what kind of father he was, he, he teaches us, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Think about that. Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. I'll explain that in a moment. Let's look at David's life. Now, David, being king, had many wives. He had eight, eight wives are mentioned in the Bible. But, but the Bible also says that David had even more wives than that. How many more? We don't know. Did he have 20? Did he have 30? Did he have 100? We don't, we don't know. By the way, some people will say, see, the Bible teaches that polygamy is okay. No, it doesn't. We, we don't have time to get into the whole thing, but whenever the Bible mentions some guy who had more than one wife, it does not mean it's okay. And, and in fact, every time polygamy is mentioned in the Bible, the guy has a boatload of problems. I mean, he does. I mean, polygamy is a boatload of problems. 
It, it is not God's plan. A anyway, you remember the story of David and Bathsheba, right? D David commits adultery with, with Bathsheba and then uh, her, has her husband Uriah, who was a soldier in David's army. He has him killed as a soldier in David's army, and he sends a message out to the general, hey, I want you to put uh, Uriah in this particular spot where the fighting is the fiercest, and then just kind of pull away, make him vulnerable, and, and let the enemy kill him. And, and sure enough, that, that plan worked. So you, in a way, you could say David murdered Uriah, and really David should have had capital punishment for that. David should have died for that, but God had mercy on him. And However, the results of that sexual chaos went on to ruin David's family. You read the rest of the story and you read the sons and the daughters that David had to these different wives. And so some of them were full brothers and sisters. Some of them were half brothers and sisters. And you, in the rest of the story, it was sexual chaos that in a way brought down the house of Israel. It's unbelievable. He had a son. David had a son named Amnon who fell in love with his half-sister Tamar. And he ended up raping his half-sister Tamar. They had, they, Amnon and Tamar, they both had David as their father, but they had different mothers. And, and, and so he fell in love with his half-sister and he ends up raping her. And every, what happens? Everybody hears about it around the palace and around Jerusalem there. Everybody's upset. Everybody's talking about it. Tamar is humiliated and, and, and hurt. And it's all a tragic thing. David hears about it. He's very angry. But what does David do? He does nothing. So Absalom, who is a full brother to Tamar, takes revenge and kills Amnon. And then what did David do about that? He, he did nothing. He, he, he did absolutely nothing. So although David was a great king and a great leader and a great military leader and, and strategy and businessman and all that, he, he, he was a lousy father. You see, it, it is possible to be a successful businessman and a lousy father. It is possible to be great at work and pathetic at home. There's this one verse near the end of David's life. Several of his sons are, are fighting over who's going to be the next king. David is now a, an old man, and they know daddy's going to die soon, and who's going to be the next king, and they're all politicking. And his one son, Adonijah, is out politicking with the people. He's riding his chariot around town, and he's trying to, to, to call all of these votes, you know, and, and shake hands and, and all of that. And, and, and then there's this verse. It's at 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6. I, do we have it on, on the screen here? Just look at it as I read it to you. This is talking about David and his relationship with his one son, Adonijah. And, and so his father, meaning David, had never rebuked him, Adonijah, by saying, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. So look at this. His father had never rebuked him by asking what why do you behave as you do? He was handsome. So you, you, you can, it's easy to just speculate a little bit and read into the story. Here's David as a king, but he never really interfered much in the life of his kids. He never really got involved and, and, and rebuked them or disciplined them or gave them any kind of, of instruction. So here you have Adonijah, this handsome young man, one of the kids of the king, and he's basically 
a brat. Because dad never really called him out about his poor behavior. He never disciplined. So here's the truth we learned from David. Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. King David illustrates his truth, but I actually got the wording from Jordan Peterson. You may have heard of Jordan Peterson. I've mentioned him before. He's written a book called 12 Rules for Life, an antidote to chaos. He's all the rage on YouTube. He's all of millions and millions of followers. And, and, and I, I really enjoy watching him on, on YouTube. Now, fair warning, he's not a Christian. Okay. Now, he reads the Bible, and, and he understands a lot about the Bible, but he's not a Christian. So he says a lot of things that I agree with, and I think he has a lot of great insight, but he's not a Christian, and he does say a lot of things that I don't agree with and that, that are, frankly, not Christian. So fair warning. But, but the fifth chapter in his book, 12 Rules of Life, he, it, it, the, the fifth chapter is entitled, Do Not Let Your Children Do Anything That Makes You Dislike Them. And, and as I read the chapter, I thought, wow, he has a powerful point here because we've all experienced this, haven't we? You're sitting in a restaurant and, and you're enjoying a nice meal and in walks a family with chaotic children and they're screaming and they're running around and they're fighting over the food and maybe even throwing the food. And you look at the parents and the parents are clueless. They do nothing. And you sit there finding yourself not liking those children right? Can we be honest? It's, we're in church, right? You know, Peterson makes a point that as a parent, if you do not discipline your children properly so that they behave well, you will end up not liking them. You may not even be aware of it consciously. You may be too ashamed to admit it to yourself, but you will start resenting your own children and even finding ways to get revenge on them in all kinds of subtle ways and sometimes not so subtle ways. And things will actually get worse. It is better, Peterson says, if you face their misbehavior head on and deal with it forcefully. Many parents today are so concerned to be friends with their kids rather than parents to their kids. And so they're afraid to make their, their children angry. And, and they're afraid to hurt their child's feelings. And so the child ends up becoming the leader of the family. And the child ends up controlling the whole dynamics of the family. And the parents think they're maybe doing this out of love and kindness, when in fact it's probably an act of cowardice. And they're actually doing a great disservice to their children. You see, children need to hear the word no. Children need to learn how to obey authority and do things that they would rather not do. And as a parent, you have to risk them not liking you for a while because you refuse to let them get away with their poor behavior. What happens is that as a parent, you end up not liking them. And guess what? You allow their poor behavior to continue, and they develop these as habits into their life. And what happens is now their peers don't like them. You wonder why they're picking other friends, and nobody wants to be a friend to your child. And the, even the teachers don't really like them. Why? Because they've become these selfish little monsters. And you haven't done your job as a parent to help them mature and grow up. So dad and mom, if bedtime is always a battle because your kid doesn't want to go down, and it, you need to settle that one. 
If your child is, is, cannot sit nicely at the dinner table and converse nicely, you know, for an appropriate amount of time, depending on how old they are, that's your fault. You better do something about that. We don't have time to get into the whole discipline thing. You may want to read Jordan Peterson's chapter on that. Another book I've recommended to you on this subject is The Coddling of the American Mind. The Coddling of the American Mind. Chapter 12 of that book is all about how to raise wiser children. So scripture says in Ephesians 6, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You see, look at it. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See, there is a way to properly discipline and instruct and train your children so that you can enjoy them in a way that doesn't exasperate them. Oh, yeah, they may, they may not like you for a moment. They, they may get angry with you because you confront their poor behavior. But in the long run, they will actually love you for it. So you, you want to you instruct your children in a way that you can enjoy your kids and, and other people will enjoy being around your kids and they actually will enjoy themselves better and become functioning, successful people. Don't let your children do anything that makes you not like them. The other dad I want to tell you about is Jacob. Remember Jacob in the book of Genesis? Jacob helps us to realize the power of a father's blessing. And this really struck me as I, as I learn more about this. There is, dads, you need to realize there is unbelievable power in your blessing or lack of your blessing on your children. Scripture teaches this and modern social studies confirm that dads, listen, this will probably shock you. Because it shocked me. Dads impact their children more than moms do. And I, I know you might even want to argue that. What do you mean? I do all everything for the kids. And I, but but the, the studies confirm it. And, and scripture supports it too. That, that dads impact their children more than their moms do. Dennis Prager, who is a devout Jew, I enjoy reading his commentaries on, on some of the Old Testament books, like the book of Genesis. Here's a quote. Listen to this. Dennis Prager says this. When males are young, they need to feel accountable to a male authority figure. Without a father or some other male rule giver, young men are likely to do great harm. If there is no male authority figure to give a growing boy rules, it is very difficult to control his wilder impulses, like getting in a lawn chair and going up to 11,000 feet. In 2008, the United States, uh, the, uh, then, the then United States Senator Barack Obama told an audience, children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime nine times more likely to drop out of schools, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. Commenting on that speech, Dr. Alvin Passant, a psychiatrist at Harvard Medical School, confirmed Obama's statistics. He said, the absence of fathers corresponds with a host of social ills, including dropping out of school and serving time in jail. 
The data is just overwhelming regarding this. A, a report released by the Minnesota Psychological Association concluded, the more opportunities a child has to interact with his or her biological or adoptive father, the less likely he or she is to commit a crime or have contact with the juvenile justice system. In a study of female inmates, more than half came from a father absent home. Youths who never had a father living with them have the highest incarceration rates. Now, watch this. Yeah, th this is probably going to shock you as well. It shocked me. Here's another, here's another quote, it's, but it's, it's a substantiated fact. Youths in father-only households. So we've been talking about kids who grow up with a mom but not a dad. Now let's reverse it. What happens when kids grow up in a home with dad, but not mom? Mom's absent for whatever the reasons are. Listen, youths in father-only households display no difference in the rate of incarceration from that of children coming from two-parent households. Wow. I mean, this, this, is, this could even be disturbing. Why is this? Because, of course, we want to affirm mothers are extremely important. Mothers are absolutely needed, of course. But the absence of dad is much more harmful to the children than the absence of mom. The power of a father's blessing. In Genesis 48 and 49, Jacob, he's an old man by this time in his story. And he gathers his children and family, his grandchildren all around him to bless them. And it says in Genesis 48, beginning in verse 8, when Israel, which was Jacob's God-given name, his other name. So when Jacob or Israel saw the sons of Joseph, Joseph was one of the, the sons of Jacob. When he saw the sons of Joseph, so he's looking at his two grandchildren, he said, who are these? Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. So Joseph is introducing to his father, Jacob, his two kids. Because if you remember the whole story, uh, Joseph was left in Egypt and he ended up becoming second in command of Pharaoh. And they thought he was dead and they, they discovered each other. And, and so the family, including dad, Jacob, comes down and he's being introduced to his grandkids. And he goes, who are these? And, the, and Joseph says, these are my kids. Then Israel or Jacob said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. And you follow this through, and there's this biblical pattern of fathers blessing their children. Even having almost a little ceremony kind of thing, where they lay hands on their children. And they speak words of affirmation. And even prophecy over them. Of how God is going to bless them. And how God loves them. And God has a wonderful plan for your life. This is a powerful thing. The power of a father's blessing. Many of us have gone into prisons. Many times over the years to share the gospel. And to talk with and encourage the inmates. We're going again this summer. You just heard Josh uh, mentioned that that uh, you need to sign up if you plan on going with us and talk to Bob Bierman uh, after the service today. He'll be out in the Connection Center to give you whatever information. But in, a, in just a short time here, the deadline's coming up. We're going to be going to Gus Harrison Prison in Ypsilanti. And, and uh, the men go to the men's prison. The women go to the women's prison. And uh, it, it's just a powerful day. This is a one-day event, this particular one. And over the years, 
we have noticed the overwhelming percentage of the men in prison today never knew their dad. Or if they do, their dad's in prison. And they're just following in his steps. In fact, Rick Hoeksema, uh, who, who goes on many of these trips, shared with me that uh, this was just a couple of years ago, that some of the prisoners had gathered around him and they were having a conversation. And, uh, and one of the prisoners asked Rick, so when's the last time you were in prison? And Rick said, oh, we go several times a year. And he said, no, 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 we, meant, we mean when were you arrested and when were you in prison? He said, oh, never. And they were like, do you mean you've never been arrested? You've never been? No. Well, we, your dad has or, or your uncle has or your brother has. I mean, some, so you're somebody in your family. Rick said, no, I don't have any family members that have ever been to jail. That just blew their minds. Because many of their family and many of their fathers have spent time in jail. Listen, dads, like it or not, you hold tremendous power in your hands. So use it well. Be intentional. You stand up straight, your shoulders back, and and you want to be the kind of man that your children can respect and your children can look up to and your children love. And when they have some poor behavior, you have enough courage and wisdom to confront them and say, that is not acceptable around here. And you show them the path and you show them how God loves them and you show them what it means to be a man in love with Jesus Christ. Amen? Teach them. And you show them. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. So dads, I I close with this. I want you to realize that you have a father in heaven. You're not all alone in this, man. You have a dad in heaven who created you. You're made in his image and he loves you so much that he died for you and he wants to give you life and life abundantly. The most important person in the universe knows you and loves you. So, and he's the only perfect father ever. And look what happened to his kids. So take the pressure off, right? Take the pressure off. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to do everything right. Your kids are going to grow up. And guess what? They're not going to be perfect. They're not going to do it. Take that pressure off. You don't have to be perfect, but you can be godly. The righteous man can lead a blameless life. Blameless does not mean perfect. It means integrity. It means wholeness. It means functionality. You can be the man God made you to be. So receive him. Base your identity on that truth, on that reality that you have a heavenly father.